Today on Ag News Daily, the challenges that farmers face, what are the opportunities that they face, what are some of the things that knock them off track, some of the things that they can take advantage of that strengthen their operations. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Mike Pearson here, staring out at the fog off the Chicago lakefront. I am joined by Delaney Howell. Delaney, how are you doing on this uh, wonderful, what is it, Thursday? It is Thursday, Mike. Yes, and it's actually starting to get a little sunnier here in central, east central Iowa. So I'm thankful for that. Well, absolutely. I hope that weather rolls its way on eastward because between the coronavirus, the quarantine, and this fog, I tell you, things are awfully darn depressing. Yeah, and it's, it's well, I mean, depressing, yes, but I think... We're hopefully taking a turn at least for the better on weather because it's crazy to think. But next week is April 1st and people are going to want to start rolling the planters. They're going to start rolling the planters. And I just got an interesting update on my phone for people. So yesterday it was a little bit sunny here in Chicago. And I looked outside at the park in front of my place. And by golly, the park was packed full of people. And I just got an update. Apparently people are not maintaining enough social distancing here in Chicago. So now they have completely closed all of the lakefront and the parks and the trails because people were not practicing good enough social distancing. So, folks, if you're going to get out there and roll the planters, be sure to not have strangers riding in that buddy seat along with you. Make that banker hang outside on the fender. I don't think uh, I don't think farmers are going to be too upset about that one. No, I don't think either. However, farmers did get a bit of a break, Delaney, if I may segue into some agricultural news. Absolutely. USDA announced earlier today that it is relaxing its loan process. Uh, this includes um, products from the Farm Service Agency. They're looking at extending deadlines for producers to deal with loans. Um, in particular, they're looking at extending kind of a lifeline to financially troubled or delinquent farmers. According to uh, Richard Fortas, who is the FSA administrator, he said, quote, we recognize that farm loans are critical for annual operating and family living expenses, emergency needs, and cash flow through time. Times like this. FSA is working to find and use every option and flexibility to provide producers with credit options and other program benefits. So if you are one of those folks who is struggling in coming up with, uh, with cash flow or to cover your loan payments, get in touch with your FSA office. It sounds like this is an ongoing process. We, we're not going to get all the extreme details as they are discovered by FSA, but your FSA administrator or FSA officers will. So give them a call. Let them know you're struggling. Let them know that you want to be included on that list of folks to uh, explore some of the different options that they are coming up with there at FSA. Yeah, and I believe that as part of yesterday's announced stimulus package, marketing loans will be extended for three months to a full year in light of COVID-19 okay. concerns. All right. Well, that is good news there, Delaney. It absolutely is. I mean, it, the better news is to actually make money and well, pay right. the note. But if that is not possible, then I guess it's good to get relief somewhere. Absolutely. But the other piece of news we didn't really talk about yesterday, Mike, and I know this is something you follow pretty heavily is the fact that realistically there could be stimulus up to $6 trillion that's going to get floated into the economy. About $2 trillion, of course, comes from that stimulus package. The other $4 trillion could be coming from the administration as part of them floating money into the economy trying to keep things afloat. 
Yes, and that should be good news for agriculture on a couple of different fronts. A, if you made less than $75,000 as an individual or $150,000 as a married couple in 2018, it sounds like you are going to be eligible for some dollars to roll your way from this most recent stimulus package, the one that passed earlier today. However, the broader way agriculture is going to benefit is this is stoking fears of inflation. This is raising the possibility that every dollar could be worth a little bit less as there are more dollars floating around in the marketplace. That's the conventional wisdom, at least. And that is helping the U.S. dollar drop compared to foreign currencies. So as the dollar drops compared to other currencies, as the dollar looks less attractive as we print more money, all of a sudden, our ability to export gets a little better. So we saw this should have been more broadly supportive in the ag markets. Today, the uh, the dollar did drop uh, pretty consistently amongst the uh, the other currencies that we trade with. The big news that dropped the dollar today was that there was an unprecedented rise in jobless claims. Not mm-hmm. surprising, given that uh, you know 40% of the economy has been told to stay home, particularly service workers. But... Um, that has added to the idea, Delaney, just as you were saying, that this $2 trillion stimulus isn't going to be the end of it, uh, that we are definitely going to see more. And the more stimulus we see, theoretically, the cheaper the dollar ought to get, which should make agri- American agricultural exports a bit more competitive on the global scene. Yeah, and I think there's still some lack of clarity surrounding this stimulus package, which I'm sure they're going to provide here over the next week or so. But to put this in perspective, this stimulus measure, which encompasses all six trillion possible dollars, is the largest stimulus measure we've ever seen Congress approve. And it's about 30 percent larger than legislation that was passed during the 2008 financial crisis. But one of the questions I have that I think still a little unclear is you are eligible to receive up to $1,200 in direct payments, again, going back off of what you make as your yearly salary. And then it also says that if you filed for unemployment support, you'll be able to receive additional benefits for up to four months. So I think that's, I guess, from what I understand, it sounds like you can basically double dip, but I'm, I'm not positive on that. Like I said, there's a little bit of lack of clarity still on that. Yeah, and so I was reading into that a bit this morning, and again, the big caveat with the $1,200 is it's based on your 2018 tax filing. So if in 2018 you had a banner year and you made great money as a, a car salesperson, and then your car salesmanship jobs have ended as nobody is venturing out into the world here in 2020, um, but you made more than 75 k back two years ago, it, tough, tough cookies, you're out. Um, which I, I think is going to be frustrating to a lot of different folks, frustrating to uh, to me on a personal level. But as we look at the unemployment benefits, I think they're just saying that rather than capping the length of time you can be on an unemployment, they're extending it for three months. So, yeah, you can double dip just in the same way that somebody who's employed is going to get the stimulus package, the 1200 bucks, assuming you meet the criteria, yada, yada. Um, then even if you're unemployed, yep, you can get the extended unemployment benefits as well as the um, – you know, government monies. Yeah. And I, the only thing, the other thing I don't know is how you sign up for this said government money or if it just automatically gets deposited into your account. I don't know. 
Yep. So my understanding is, and I do believe they're going to continue to nail out the actual procedures here over the next, probably we'll have the full details on Monday. But my understanding is that uh, since your 2018 taxes should be on file, uh, they're just going to look at the 2018 taxes. If you've got a direct deposit slip included in there, whoop, the money is just going to go whoop, right to your account through oh. that uh, same direct deposit if it's on file and if you meet the criteria. Well, I will be receiving some government monies then. Well, good for you, Delaney Howell. Uh-huh. I will not, sadly, and I would love some because all of my speech business has dried up. So yeah, the I know that's the frustration is real. Yep, absolutely. It's true for everybody. And Delaney, it's not just true in this country. Another country that is struggling, particularly their ag sector, is Germany. Germany announced earlier today, excuse me, late yesterday, that they are going to shut down their borders to seasonal workers. Well. This matters because German agriculture, particularly a lot of the higher value agriculture, think of the Central Valley in California, the German growers of white asparagus are seeing their labor force basically dry up. Um, Reuters spoke with one fellow, a guy by the name of Ernst August Wenkelmann, whose farm in the Bielitz, southwest of Berlin, produces about 6,000 tons of asparagus. And he says he uses typically about 500 seasonal laborers, typically from uh, Eastern Europe, Poland and Romania, and they can't get in. And so he's really concerned that his asparagus is going to be left to rot in the fields that they cannot get pickers. So American ag and American consumers, American producers, aren't the only ones suffering under this uh, coronavirus situation. No, absolutely not. And another industry that we continue to watch that's suffering here in the United States, and I suppose probably abroad as well, has been the ethanol and biofuels industry. As I shared yesterday on the podcast, or maybe it was two days ago now, Poet is, of course, closing down some of their facilities. We also saw Valero Energy Corp. is declaring force majeure in at least two of its biofuel facilities. But I thought this was also interesting. And to put it in perspective, they're the second largest U.S. oil refiner. And they've decided that they aren't going to be complying with contracts to purchase corn at their Albert City, Iowa facility, according to a letter seen and recorded by Bloomberg News. They also said they're not going to deliver supplies of dried distillers grains, of course, used for animal feed in one of their facilities in Nebraska in a separate letter. And so because of these two facilities closing, they are not complying with their contracts and will not be providing DDGs for livestock growers. Absolutely. We've been banging that drum for a while. If you're a livestock producer reliant on DDGs, modified gluten, anything coming out of an ethanol plant, be on the horn trying to make sure you can either secure supply or, I perhaps realistically at this point, be looking for other alternatives. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we've got news out of Brazil. We talk a lot about Brazil, or I should say we have talked a lot about Brazil's meat exports to China over this past year. They have been incredible. It has been wildly profitable for Brazilian meat packers as they have been able to see with the United States and China. And Brazil has stepped in to fill the gap. Well, JBSSA, the world's Brazil said despite the coronavirus epidemic, they anticipate trade flows to China to continue to stay strong. They are a little bit worried that there could be container shortages as, you know, ships are left to hang out off the ports for some time while things are decontaminated. 
But um, despite that and other logistics issues, port disruptions, port closures, et cetera, et cetera, they expect Chinese beef demand from Brazil to stay very, very strong this year. Well, I mean, as African swine fever continues to uh, to be going on over there, but, you know, really, we haven't heard a lot about that here since COVID-19 has dominated the news cycle. Right. It has definitely pushed ASF onto the back burner. And it does sound, I was talking with Ted Seifert, the chief market strategist there at Zaner, uh, a couple of days. Oh, shoot. No, it was before we all were told to go home. So it would have been last week, I suppose, we were talking about it. And um, basically, his thought is that we're seeing China modernize their hog herd. This African swine fever outbreak really kind of let the government do what it wanted to do, which was move hogs from the southwest part of the country, where they're predominantly raised by rural, you know, single acre, small acre landholders and kind of ma and pa operations up to the northeast. West side, excuse me, southeast is where the Ma and Pa stuff is. They wanted to move it to the northwest, which is where they've been building those hog hotels, the very high-intensity, modern hog operations. And so he is under the impression in the conversations he has had with folks that China has continued to fill those modern facilities, and they're intentionally maybe letting Ma and Pa uh, Mm. get out of the hog business. Yeah. I mean, again, I don't think that comes as any surprise since they're a communist government. Exactly. Exactly. Well, Delaney, I tell you what, I'm all out of news for the day. Do you have any other stories we should talk about before we talk markets? I have just one other quick update here looking at a topic I know you don't like to discuss a lot, so I'm not going to ask you your opinion, and I prefer you not share it, but uh, you know what I'm talking about. That's right. That is CRP ground. We saw a sign up for CRP for this year end on February 28th. So just over a month ago, USDA compiled some numbers and showed that after four years without a general sign up here in 2020, we saw only 3.4 million acres were added to the CRP program. Even though we saw, of course, as part of the farm bill, those acres were expanded to a cap of 24 and a half million acres. So these acres were about a million acres short of what they were expecting for this sign up. Uh, What's more notable, though, is that by 2023, they're expected to see total acres capped at about 27 million acres of CRP ground. So if I understand that correctly, we could be adding another 3 million more acres to the general sign-up here over the next couple of years? We certainly could, Mike. All right, folks, I get it. If it makes sense for you, get that government money. But if you can afford not to, have a conversation with a young or beginning grower in your neck of the woods. See if they could uh, maybe use a chance to run a few cows, explore some different opportunities. I get Got to do what makes sense for you. So I hear that. I will leave it at that. Okay, thank you. Welcome to the Hot Rod Farmer Minute. I am Ray Bohax from the Idle Chatter podcast heard on the Global Ag Network. It is important to understand the two different types of soil compaction that occur every time you drive on the field. Shallow compaction is from the soil surface down to the tillage zone. It can be minimized with the proper air pressure for the load and tire size along with the tire's design. To determine this, you would need to weigh your equipment with the different implements attached. Bias ply tires create the most compaction. Radial tires create less, but IF and VF are the best. 
Deep compaction is the greatest concern and it is created by the axle weight. It is the compaction layer beneath the tillage zone. Even with the most advanced tire technology at the correct pressure, heavy equipment will create deep compaction. Large combines and grain carts are the greatest offenders. Agriculture runs on machinery, profits on reliability. Please visit farmmachinerydigest.com for more helpful hints and technical articles. All right. Well, you got to do what makes sense, and that's what ethanol plants are doing. Despite the bearish ethanol news we've had over the past two days between Poet and Valero, we still saw corn trade in the green a little bit today. Delaney, what do you say? Should we jump into the market? Let's check them out. All right, folks. Well, as I mentioned, corn may contract up a quarter penny to close at 348 and three quarters. December actually unchanged on the day, finished at 367 and a quarter. Soybeans mixed. The May contract was down one and a quarter cents at 880 and a quarter. November new crop up one and a half cents to close at 879 even. Wheat really was the big loser today. After a tremendous rally earlier this week, it did find time to catch its breath and, in fact, pull back a little bit despite the threat of wheat export bans from Russia, Kazakhstan, and the Ukraine. We saw the May Chicago wheat contract drop 11 cents on the day to 569 even. December new crop down 10 and a half, closing at 561 and a quarter. Livestock also have been on a rocket ship all week long, and that rocket ship came back down to earth today. April live cattle down $3, the daily trading limit to close at 105.45. The June contract down 277.5 to finish the day at 93.55. And feeder cattle also came in a little bit lower today. The April contract was down $3.62.5 at 125.10. The May down 367.7, excuse me, 3 dollars 67 and a half to close at 125 42.50 lean hogs down on the day as well the april contract down two dollars 95 cents at 62.90 the may limit down three dollars lower at 62.12 and a half dairy also took it on the chin the front month march was only down a nickel at 16.23 but the april contract dropped 25 cents to close the day at 15.69 Hey guys, in case you didn't know, when I'm not hosting Ag News Daily, I'm helping out with the Iowa Farm Bureau's Spokesman Speaks podcast. If you're from Iowa, you're probably familiar with the Spokesman newspaper. It has the largest readership of any ag newspaper in Iowa. The Spokesman Speaks podcast is essentially an extension of that newspaper, reaching farmers and ag professionals on the go with the stories that matter most. In this week's podcast episode, we have Iowa Secretary of Agriculture Mike Neg talking about Iowa's water quality progress and Charlie Arnott of the Center for Food Integrity sharing the most effective ways for farmers to respond to the challenge of imitation meat. The episode also includes interviews with a group of Iowa farmers who recently completed a tour of Brazil's agricultural sites and infrastructure. So if you'd like a first-hand account of what's happening in a country that's one of our biggest competitors, you want to make sure you catch that episode. You can find it and subscribe to the Spokesman Speaks podcast in your favorite podcast app or go to iowafarmbureau.com slash podcast. Without further ado, Delaney Howell, why don't you tell us who we're talking to for today's interview? Well, Mike, this gentleman first came across my radar when I was doing some hosting for the Spokesman Speaks podcast, and that is Brett Scotto. He is the CEO of Aimpoint Research, used to work in the military, used to be in the military, got out and started this company focusing on trends 
Specifically, one of the industries he looks at is agriculture. So let's turn it over to my conversation with Brett. I'm very, very excited for today's interview with Brett Scotto, CEO of Aimpoint Research. He has an interesting story to tell. He does some interesting research focusing on farmers of the future and just has a really interesting background. Brett, thank you so much for joining us today. It's my pleasure, Delaney. Thank you for having me. So, Brett, before we get to the company that you've helped build up here, Aimpoint Research, I want to talk about your background because I think that makes your story very unique compared to maybe other people who work in the agricultural industry. Could you share a little bit about that with us? I'd be happy to. Yeah, it's certainly uh, been an interesting journey. I started my career as an Army intelligence officer after West Point had the chance to have a number of interesting roles in the Army. And uh, one of those roles that was really instrumental in leading me to build Aimpoint Research was I was the fusion chief for the 101st Airborne Division. And in that role, I had to look across a lot of different sources of intelligence and patch it together to get better situational awareness, more accurate insights, more predictability as to what was going to occur on the, on the battlefield. And when I came out of the military, I wanted to continue to empower leaders with insights that help them make better decisions and reduce risk, ultimately help them achieve their goals. And I thought that uh, superior intelligence, strategic intelligence, was a a good way for me to continue to do that, build on what I learned uh, through my Army career and uh, bring it to the civilian world and quickly found myself serving this industry that I love and have a passion for agriculture. And uh, I want to acknowledge one of the reasons why we do serve the industry is because of its importance in national security. And I'd certainly be remiss if I didn't start uh, this conversation by thanking all of your your listeners across the agri-food value chain who work hard every day to protect American food power and our uh, food security uh, plays a critical role on a daily basis. And sometimes we take it for granted, but this pandemic and uh, the situation our nation finds itself in right now kind of brings it to specific relief. You start to understand the importance of food security more and more in our daily lives. And uh, and certainly uh, it's critical that uh, that folks across the agri-food value chain do what they do on a daily basis, uh, even behind the scenes. And so developed a great passion for this industry and for the last 20 years have been providing strategic intelligence to leaders across the agri-food value chain to to help them be successful and to to keep our nation's food security strong. Yeah, and I want to talk a little bit more about food security because typically I think when, at least when I think about food security, I'm thinking of do I have access to food or quality food? But in the case of national security, what do you mean when you say that we are contributing to food security? Well, it's interesting how delicate our social fabric can be. And we, you know, we take for granted the strength of our our civil society sometimes. But during a crisis like what we're all enduring right now, you know, we're staying at home. We're testing the limits of our uh, economic strength, certainly putting a lot of industries at risk. Uh, we are uh, looking to protect our families and to protect our communities. And uh, when you look at empty grocery shelves, you start to wonder, is that access going to be there? Is that food security uh, really there? And that's what we kind of think about on a micro level. But when you start to think about food's ability 
to stabilize um, a nation, our ability to project food around the world to help other nations feed their people, to help our allies feed uh, folks that, uh, you know, their their soldiers and their their, uh, society. I think that uh, at the end of the day, food is one of the most foundational and critical components to any nation's security. And we just happen to be blessed in the United States with the ability uh, to have great abundance uh, and the ability to share that with uh, folks around the world. And that's a capability that we should never take for granted. Absolutely. And I think a lot of producers listening would agree with you there. But as you look at heading towards the future, this 2050 year is really the focal point of a lot of discussions around how we produce our food, how we take advantage of the dwindling resource of land availability. When you look at the farmer of the future, I know you did a specific research study looking at this farmer of the future and what that looks like. And as we continue to go through consolidation here, I think it worries farmers that perhaps the small guys are going to be bought out or ate out or whatever, pushed out by some of the really large farms. Is that what you've seen from your research farmer of the future? Well, let me kind of give you some background on the study first. So first and foremost, the the Farmer of the Future research that we've done over the past two years is really aimed at giving uh, agri-food value chain leaders a view over the horizon at 2040. So we are looking 20 years out and attempting to answer this very big, complex question, who are the farmers of the future and what will they ultimately require of all of us? And Through that study, we did a psychographic segmentation. We've done a series of wargaming exercises that helped us visualize and test uh, the dynamics uh, that will occur over the the, the next 20 years so that we could have greater insight into what was coming and help our clients and leaders throughout the, the chain, help them drive that insight into strategies and tactics. What we found in the psychographic segmentation was that there are things that matter more than scale and size. Certainly, we are not taking a position that small farmers can't make it. Uh, there's some large farms out there that are struggling pretty pretty significantly. What we found is that psychographics, the, the mentality of the farmer, really indicates success more than really a, any other other metric. There's a lot of small farms out there that are succeeding and growing and getting stronger. There's mid-sized farms uh, that are also equally strong. And there's some large farms, like I said, that are struggling. But scale certainly helps. It helps in a lot of ways, helps drive down that, uh, you know, that input cost. It helps gives you uh, the ability to leverage technology maybe in a, in a better way. But at the end of the day, the entrepreneurial class of farmer who is having the most success today and is likely to have the most success moving forward, uh, they tend to really focus on the business of farming more than the lifestyle and practice. You got to love that, too. But the business of farming matters and having a high sense of business IQ and a, and, a, and a focus on the business is important. And then you have adaptability, critical need to continue to adapt and change and to find new ways to serve the agri-food value chain, to lean forward on new management practices and new technologies that allow you to be more efficient and to think outside the box and not get stuck in our ways uh, that uh, you know maybe have worked over the last decade, but maybe won't work in the next 10 years. And then there's this drive to succeed. In my opinion, farmers are the original entrepreneurs, right? And in order to be successful, they, they went it alone and they built these amazing businesses. And sometimes you get tired and the world never stops changing. 
the environment around farming never stops changing the context uh, by which we serve the agri-food value chain continues to evolve faster and faster. And it's easy to just get tired of changing and pushing and, and working so hard. Uh, but that is absolutely essential to be able to succeed in the next couple decades. And, and so uh, there are those that have that energy still and those that are losing that energy and uh, it can make a difference. So business IQ, adaptability, drive to succeed, important indicators in uh, the farms that are going to make it and the farms uh, then that are, are maybe not going to make it. And it has more to do with that than it does scale. Brett, walk me through as you look at that, those couple of research points that you found in doing this Farmer of the Future study. How did you go about collecting data, analyzing research? Walk me through a little bit more of the back end process to get to that point or that get to that yes. information level. So we, we launched this research with a collaborative group of, of clients in April of 2018. And we came together for a couple of days with leaders across the agri-food value chain. And the first thing we did was just explored what we already knew. What are the the challenges that farmers face? What are the opportunities that they face? What are some of the things that knock them off track? Some of the things that they can take advantage of that strengthen their operations. And we had that dialogue, which led into qualitative research. And we went out and interviewed farmers and ranchers all across the United States. We did focus groups. We had conversations with them about their journey, about their career, and where those divides in the road were, where the forks in the road were, when, when did you have a challenge that you were able to overcome? When did a challenge kind of knock you off your horse? And, and we kind of talked about those dynamics. That insight led to a psychographic segmentation, which is a quantitative exercise where we went out and we surveyed thousands of farmers across the country to allow math to ultimately dictate how one group might be different from another, how subgroups uh, find themselves arrayed across the, the universe of farmers and ranchers. That psychographic segmentation gave us a great deal of insight into the personality differences of farmers and the experience differences. And then we had to put that into context. The psychographics gave us a view of farmers and ranchers today. We did a series of war game exercises with leaders from across the agri-food value chain. Uh, the first one in November of 2018 in Denver, and we did a second one in, in November of 2019 in Nashville, had about 60 agricultural leaders from organizations uh, that are would be recognized as leading organizations uh, across the industry come together to talk about those dynamics, to explore the fundamental changes that would occur uh, in our industry and across the agri-food value chain and, and how we would react to those changes over time. And once we had that insight, we came back to the psychographics and tested those farmer attributes and said, okay, we know who's most successful today. We know what makes them stand out from their peers. Let's test that across time in these dynamics that we've identified through wargaming and see who we believe have the right mix of, of attributes to succeed in the future in 2040. And so that was kind of the research journey we've been on. Uh, we've developed foundational research that I've gone out and, and uh, spoke to audiences all across the, uh, the nation about. I gave about 100 Farmer of the Future speeches, I think, in 2019. And uh, it's been very, very rewarding, but the research doesn't end. We are putting a global lens on it now to understand how things are changing in other countries, too, and what that means to the American farmer. 
Uh, we just revealed uh, in January our next generation consumer platform study that uh, talks about and looks, explores how consumers will also put additional pressures on agri-food uh, over time and what that means to farmers. So we've kind of looked at the situation both through the ag's, ag's eyes and for, through consumers' eyes and have found uh, you know, some common threads, common elements about what the future will look like. And I think it's very exciting to think about that. But as you look at producers, maybe I would like to think that our podcast listeners are advanced in their thinking since they're using podcasts mm -hmm. to get information and news anyways. But if we have producers that are sitting there thinking, man, I don't have a strong business IQ or maybe I'm not as adaptable or diversified as I'd like to be, do you think that farmers could use this information and change the trajectory that they're on? Or do you think once they're locked into that trajectory, there's really not a lot of room to change and become a farmer of the future? Well, I think there is opportunity to, to embrace new skill sets, to gain new knowledge, and certainly to continue to learn. You know, one of the, the key attributes of farmers of the future is they're lifelong learners. They're never content in what they know. They're always seeking new information you know, there's so there's this opportunity, certainly, to continue to think about your operation and and to uh, become adaptable and to bring new tools, whether you have to learn those skill sets or whether you bring in people that have those skill sets to advise you. And then there's this idea of succession, too, that plays a critical role. You know, farmers have psychographics, not farms. And farms can change leadership. Farms can allow a younger generation to take more of a leadership role earlier. The succession plays a major role in, in the farm's success over time. And one of the correlations that we found in the data pretty early is that if you have a succession plan and you know who's coming back to, to manage your farm uh, in the future, you tend to keep investing and pushing harder and innovating and adapting. If you don't have a succession plan or unclear who's going to come back, especially if you know a family member is not coming back, you tend as a farmer to take your foot off the gas a little faster earlier. You start, stop innovating, you stop pushing so hard and you become more set in your ways. And that is a recipe for losing your competitive advantage. And so it's not only about learning new things. Uh, it's about being a lifelong learner, but it's also about bringing in the right folks to help you make decisions and, and understanding when you need that new vision, that new view, that new way uh, being more open-minded. One of the one of the most interesting findings out of the the war game in Denver was that there were a group of farmers that participated, and the role of the supply chains continues to evolve and become more influential in a farmer's life. The need for traceability, transparency, sustainability to manage your farm in certain ways that the uh, the agri-food value chain now expects. When you hold on to independence too tightly and you say, look, I'm no one's ever going to tell me what to do. This is my farm. This is the way I operate. And I'm going to keep doing it my way uh, versus another farmer who says, I'll be happy to adapt and to learn and to adjust to meet the needs of the agri-food value chain as it evolves. And I'm not too proud uh, to, to learn new things and new ways that that prideful independence can sometimes be a. a a challenge uh, to adaptability. And so we can look in the mirror a little bit as farmers and ranchers. We can look at our operations. We can also look at the 
next generation and say, how do I get the right mix between my leadership and those that may come behind me uh, to be ready for the future? Those attributes are, are learnable, and I think uh, the study helps provide some direction there. Well, speaking of the study, if our listeners would like to read through or find a little more information about the study itself, Brett, how can they do that? I believe we have an executive summary on our website, aimpointresearch.com. And if uh, if you can't find it there, they can certainly contact me and I'd be happy to uh, send them a copy of the executive summary, which is a quick read, just two pages that kind of articulates some of the attributes of these five psychographic groups that we identified uh, in the farmer rancher universe. And, um, and certainly if that doesn't uh, suffice, they're, they're welcome to contact Aimpoint Research and we can talk them through things uh, as, as they see fit. We're happy to help. Fantastic. Well, Brett, certainly appreciate you joining today. This has been fascinating stuff. Uh, it's my privilege. And, and again, let me say thank you to all of you in the agri-food value chain, working hard every day to, to keep our nation strong and fed and keep our economy going. I, I have to give my both my personal and professional thanks to uh, those leaders out there, those farmers and ranchers that are doing the work that we need done to keep our food security strong. Well, again, a big thank you there to Brett. Interesting stuff. I would highly encourage you to check out at least some of the quick synopsis. It's only two pages was their big takeaways from that report. So, you know, the two pages is worth reading, I think. Plus, what else are you going to do when you're sitting at home in quarantine? Absolutely. If you're quarantined, go ahead and make yourself smarter. It's always a good way to do it. And listeners, you can always make yourself smarter by catching up on past episodes of the Ag News Daily podcast. Hit up the website at agnewsdaily.com or visit us on social media. Just search for Ag News Daily on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and we shall appear. With that, Delaney Howe, shall we let the people go? Let's let them go.